I don't think I feel complacent and I think that's good because I don't think you should ever become complacent about what you're doing. If you are complacent, well, maybe it's time to move on to something else. My name is Pam Pilkington. I'm a promo producer at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. My name is Emily Milling. And I'm Jenny Tang. And this is Her Name Is, a podcast about creative women you should know. We've combed the city of Toronto to find some of the most talented and inspiring women working in creative industries. Every other week, we will tell you one of their stories. We want to share their experiences with other amazing women that are looking for inspiration to do the same. This week, we talked to Pam Pilkington, a wordsmith and a persuader who's been working in the media industry for over 17 years. We live in a world that's obsessed with efficiency, which is why there's a quote-unquote plan for everything, like going to university, finding a job, or starting a family. These plans get you from point A to point B in the quickest way possible. But what if point B isn't for you, or even point C? What do you do if you don't like your career? For Pam, career-wise, there was never a straight line, and she had to jump back and forth and to several different points before she found her place at the CBC as a promo producer. Everything you do is, is new every day. You can have experience, which I think is really great, but I think it's also good to be very, very open and realize that everything you approach is new and different, and there's a different way to do things, possibly. Ever since Pam was young, she's always been the creative type, especially when it came to words. Honing in on that creativity, however, was a little challenging while growing up in small-town Lindsay, Ontario, which is about an hour and a half outside of Toronto. I think I always felt a bit like a square peg in a round hole. I was a bookish kid, I was very creative, I was always reading. Not to say that I wasn't mainstream too, because, you know, I... I played with Barbie dolls like every other little girl and, and did all kinds of stuff like that. And I was also a bit of a tomboy too. So, you know, climbing trees and I just felt a little different. And that was a bad word in Lindsay. If they talk about someone, they go, yeah, he's nice, but he's different. And I always say different than what? Different than you? Aren't we all supposed to be different? But that was hard. So it's very sort of rural, old Ontario, very white, very, how do I say this? Uh, not a lot of cultural diversity. And if there was any, it would be looked at with a little bit of suspicion, I suppose. There's good parts of it. I think there's a lot of good community spirit and a lot of pulling together. As long as you fit in with a pretty narrow category, I feel. On the other hand, it was a great freeing place to grow up. I mean, when I was a little kid, we'd go on you know, hikes for the day. It was like, see you, mom, and she'd go, here's your lunch, and we'd just go. After high school, Pam used post-secondary education as an opportunity to move to Ottawa. I went to Carleton University because it was one of those things. I think, in the, I think the world has changed a little bit, but in those days, it was like, well, you're a good writer and you're good with language. You have a facility with words, so what are we going to do with you or what would you do? And, and the, the only, other than Carlton, I guess it would be Ryerson for um, RTA. And I, I thought, and at the time I didn't think I'd want to live in Toronto. So I thought, well, I'll go to Carlton. And, and I did a, a, a degree in journalism. I don't think I ever thought I would be an insurance broker or uh, something like that. But I would say something with writing or, or entertaining because I, I did enjoy acting in high school as well. So... I think a combination of the two. 
After second year, Pam got a summer job as a reporter back in Lindsay at the Lindsay Post. I got a job as a cub reporter at the Lindsay Daily Post, which was a very eccentric place in those days. In fact, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was owned by an eccentric old man who didn't didn't invest in modern technology as it would have been at the time. Um, there were no, you weren't allowed to make references to alcohol or gambling, so you couldn't have an ad in the paper saying, um, St. Mary's Church is having a bingo night. It's like, mm-mm-mm, that's gambling, that's the devil's work. And there were a lot of very interesting characters there. There was a, um, the editor was an old guy called Newt Falls, and he was, he talked like that, he go, Pam! Come here. But he was actually a good editor. And the, unfortunately, I was about three weeks in and he just up and died. He was kind of an eccentric character. And, and I did cover a lot of, you know, it was kind of interesting because you did get to see how the, everything worked in the small town. I remember writing one story and I was blocked. They didn't publish it because it made a, a potential advertiser look bad. I mean, that's how it works, right, in a small town. So it was, it was really quite interesting. But, and I also had free run of a dark room. And in those days, I, I had to shoot and develop my own film. And, and that was a great experience. After her fourth year of university, Pam got a summer job at the Consumers Association of Canada in Ottawa as a copy editor. They hired her on full-time after the summer. And I accepted that job. And that is where I, I actually got fired from that job. I was 21, 22. It was sort of a political thing in a way. There was a woman who'd left but then wanted to come back. How are we going to come back? Well, we'll build a case against the kid. I, I mean, there was a certain degree of that. But in retrospect, and, and sometimes... Um, at the time, it was pretty devastating. But on the other hand, it wasn't it wasn't what I was meant to be doing. I wasn't meant to be copy editing. And I think I was okay at it, but I wasn't stellar. I mean, I do have an obsession with spelling and grammar to this day. But it wasn't, I don't think, what I mean, was meant to be doing. So in a way, it was sort of a freedom to be fired. Even though at the time, it was just devastating. You know, it, it was hard. And I don't want to make light of it. It's, I mean, how do you feel? I mean, you, I think it really did kind of pull the rug from under my feet because you're just starting and you're, you're just, in fact, I hadn't finished. No, I was finished fourth year, but I hadn't finished my thesis. So I thought, well, I guess I better finish my degree anyway. So I did because I was planning on, eh, I don't know if I want to finish it. I was able to do that and uh, graduate and then um, move on. But it took me a while, I have to say. I think it really did undermine my confidence. But on the other hand, I think it's not necessarily a bad thing in your early years to, you know, be told that maybe, maybe, maybe it's a sign or I don't want to be too symbolic, but I mean, maybe I, I, and the ultimately, I think it was probably a very good thing. It was, it was a good thing because that's not what I was meant to do. So after I got sacked, um, I kind of drifted around and finished my degree. And then I thought, okay, a friend of mine said, well, there's this animation studio. They're looking for people. And I said, great, I got to eat. Unsure of what to do next, Pam drifted around while she finished her degree. She ended up at an animation studio where she worked on cartoon series such as Teddy Ruxpin, Dennis the Menace, The Raccoons, and The Odd Special here and there. She started in the Xerox department where she Xeroxed animation cells. Eventually, she became a supervisor, then a PA, and then a coordinator. 
Although the money wasn't that great, and sometimes they wouldn't even get paid, Pam loved that she had the opportunity to meet other types of creatives that she could relate to. And then I met all these people I wouldn't have ordinarily met before. A lot of them were um, artists, like visual artists and animators and, you know, people who'd studied at Sheridan College, I guess, because they have a very good animation um, program, or they certainly still do. So I met all these people I probably wouldn't have ordinarily met with because my friends were more um, like word people and more academic, but these people were, they were crazy and I had so much fun. I can't say I was very serious, but I mean, I, st I did improv comedy and there was always something going on. So it was, I found it a really creative time in my life in a way, even though I was um, young and really very foolish, making horrible money. And just like I have to say, it was um, I was not a very responsible adult in those years. I was kind of partying and drinking and which is OK, which is OK. But I did meet a lot of great creative people. And I think that was I think that was also important. It was a lot of fun. I did some voice work at that time. So um, it was it was a very good creative time in my life, I feel. And then unfortunately, it went bankrupt and. We had this general manager who was from somewhere in the north of England, and he was a very nice man. But the owner was just a horror show, and he'd he'd, he'd be say he'd, he'd he'd have a meeting with all. He goes, "I'm gonna be blunt with you. We can't pay you this week." I'd be like, "What? We're making just above minimum wage. How can this be? You know, and it's not like we were trust fund kids. I mean, it was it was hard. Somehow, I mean, I had roommates. Obviously, I mean, I couldn't have afforded anything." Although I did manage to smoke and drink at the time. So I felt I was poor, but was I? I don't know. Yeah, I was. While Pam had fun working at the animation studio, she also saw how unpredictable the media industry can be. It showed me both the good and the bad. So you, you, you see a lot of creative people doing great work, um, but you also see the owners who are sort of slightly rapacious and they don't care necessarily about the workers. I mean, it really was, the building was, it was this eccentric old building and like stairs almost leading nowhere and boom, 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 and cold and drafty in places. And like, it was not a pretty place to work, but it was so um, sort of charming in its slum-like demeanor, I guess. It was fun. But you also saw the, you know, the guy who was just like, well, we can't pay you this week. Oh, that's fine, so we'll just have lentil soup again or something, you know? It was hard. It wasn't long until the studio shut down and she was, once again, out of work. I tried to find work in Ottawa, but it just wasn't working. I, w I was pretty, that was kind of a low point. Um, I didn't have any money, like I had nothing. And I thought, I, I did a, an exploratory trip to Toronto stayed with a friend and thought, I wonder if I could live here. I wonder if there might be something here that would, you know, I could live. Like it really wasn't, oh, I, I, I have this particular goal, but it was just like, could I, could I thrive and survive or survive and thrive? And I thought, yeah, I think I can. So I, I made the decision to move. I had a place to stay for three months. Uh, my friends had a party for me called Pam Aid in Ottawa. And they had all these games, like put the, pin the job on the Pam, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, sure, and and I think you know we raised uh, a certain amount of money, maybe two, three hundred dollars, which was ooh. so that was enough to you know get me there. Mm -hmm.
Before her exploratory trip, however, she had an honest heart-to-heart -heart conversation with her cousin Marty. So, and I remember talking to a cousin of mine, and um, after I was out of work, and he he was he was the mature one. He had the job with the benefits, and and he was the same age as me, and and I had nothing, and he had a car. <laughs> I think he, I think he was even bought a house or something. It was like, what? <laughs> Sorry, I have nothing. And I remember talking to him on the phone and he goes, well, I don't think you're going to be able to stay in Ottawa, Pam. I think you're going to have to move to Toronto. And, and I was like, and this is before my exploratory trip. And I said, well, fuck you, Marty, you're wrong. And I hung up on him. And uh, he was right. He was right. I, I don't think, I think Ottawa does have a, a certain amount of, um, video and production but I think if you really want to work in the industry Toronto is probably currently where it's at but I did it took me a while to make that decision I don't know why I was maybe it was the whole small town thing Ottawa because I remember when I moved to Ottawa thinking oh my god it's so big it seemed like such a big city to me but it's it's a I loved Ottawa. It's it was hard to leave because I had a great base of friends and it's such a beautiful city. I mean it's it's stunning. And there's a lot to do. So it was a wrench to leave. Pam's first gig in Toronto was a contract position with the CBC, but was quickly cut short. Put my name in at the CBC and you know, here's my resume and, and they did call and they said, Do you want to be a receptionist for a day? And I said, Sure. Yes because it was actually good money. And um, I came for the day and they seemed pretty nice. And they said, well, do you want to come back tomorrow? I said, you bet I do. And and I did. And um, and then it, it was one of those things. It was like, well, we could hire you for a hundred days. It was like, yes, I'll do that. And then there was a strike right in the middle of it. I think I'd been there for like a month or something and there was a strike so I couldn't somebody asked me if I wanted to like continue to work and cross the line and I said no I can't do that because I was thinking if I had done such a thing I think it would have seriously jeopardized my um, any future prospects and so I mean it was hard to do so I remember taking a like a temp job at an insurance company like I had to something to do with form letters and I just thought wow this is paying the bills but wow really not something I want to do everything was gray and the, the people were very quiet and I thought how do you work in an environment like this mm -hmm. so I was so glad when the strike ended and I went back to the CBC and, and worked there for a bit after her contract ended she took on a job that involved making corporate videos mostly for financial services while it wasn't a very fascinating topic she made the most of it by taking the skills that would become useful to her later on. There was a one-off project that Pam fondly remembers, though, which cemented her love for journalism, even though it may not be journalism in a traditional sense. I remember one time, um, I was much younger, when I was working for the corporate video company, and, and I, I was doing a project. I had to go to um, Nova Scotia to shoot. And just driving around with this camera crew and interviewing people, and I just thought, I love this. And and I, for me, it was like I felt so alive. You just like, oh, what are we gonna do today? And what are we gonna talk about? And where are we, what are we gonna see? And what are we gonna do? And and what's gonna happen next? And and for me, that you, I just felt really, really alive just to 
uh, be involved in that project. It was actually for participation where we were interviewing people who were doing active lifestyles and I'd done all the research, you know, we wanted to do in the East. I thought, okay, do I know anybody in the East, who lives in the East Coast? And like, and those were the days it was before, um, like the internet was widely available. So it was more like phone calls and like, who do you know? Do you know anybody? And, and it was fascinating just through you know, six degrees of separation, I was able to find a whole bunch of people I'd never met before who were involved in various things. And then flying down, booking a crew, doing all that. I loved that, just making it all happen. I thought that was fun. I really loved that. And I thought, yeah, I really enjoy doing this. It wasn't straight journalism per se, because I don't really think that's what I want to do or didn't. Still don't. She then travelled to Ireland for a few weeks and came back to a new position at the CBC with the Fifth Estate, where she answered letters that people would send in with their story ideas. Then she moved on to a job doing promos for a satellite company that was co-owned by the CBC and a power corporation. The company didn't do very well and eventually went under. She then found herself back at the CBC again with a temp job. A temp job that ended up lasting for 17 years and is still going strong. As Pam likes to say, there are no straight lines to get to where you want to be. It's all a big circle as far as she's concerned. Based on the number of jobs and contracts Pam held, it was clear that she never exactly knew what she wanted to do with herself. She took on jobs that made her enough money to survive, but she knew she wanted something more and wanted to feel how she felt when she was driving around Nova Scotia with a film crew. And that feeling is still very much alive in Pam's current role as a promo producer with the CBC in the Communications, Marketing, Brand, and Research Department. It is Pam's job, along with teams from various departments, to determine what is the best way to promote a show or a series, which is done through web components, print ads, billboards, bus shelters, and radio spots. I like to be in the middle of a project. Sometimes before I start something, I get all kind of, oh, how am I going to do this? I can't do it. And I'm not like rocking necessarily back and forth, but I, I think, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then, and then once, once you're kind of into it and everything's clicking, that's my happy time. I love that. I love it when things are, you know, we're going to do a shoot. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And we're going to, I get to work with this graphic designer and it's a, it's a, it's a real buzz. But sometimes getting to that point can be, well, that's just my own stress and anxiety. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. But sometimes it takes me a while to, to circle in on exactly what I'm going to do and go, oh, yes. And then that might change. I mean, I might think I have the greatest idea in the world. And my boss will go, no, it isn't. You go, okay, then we'll go back to the, to the drawing board, which is not necessarily a bad exercise because there's a lot of ways to promote something or attack something. Like with any job, you quickly learn what you like to do, what you're good at, and what you want to learn more about. For Pam, that was audio, and whenever she had the chance, she'd jump on it. My favorite thing is, I mean, I, I, I would say I'm a mediocre editor at best. I'm not that great. I, I rely on the real editors, people who package our stuff to add their magic touches and effects and stuff like that. I mostly just do straight cuts and dissolves and dips to black. That's pretty much what you'll get from me as a base cut. But I love audio. I love directing audio. 
I love cutting audio. I love finding music. I love finding effects. I don't necessarily have to do that, but I enjoy doing it. So I would say the audio is my most interesting and kind of stimulating part of my job. Again, while this isn't straight journalism, as Pam likes to put it, all the elements of it are there in her role as promo producer, including finding the heart of a story. In her case, she has to find that heart in whatever series or documentary she is promoting. For me, it always starts with the words. I'm a word person. Uh, and then images, and or words, sound, and images, I would say. Like, I have to admit it. Like I have friends who are, like it's all visual. And I'm like, no, for me, it has to start with the words. So um, I like to play with words. So that's, I would say, one of my strengths. I would say another strength would be the ability to uh, distill a lot of information very quickly and succinctly and figure out like the heart of something. Because if you're watching a two-hour movie and you only have 15 seconds to promote it, what do you do? <laughs> you have to you have to find a hook. You have to find the soul in something, you know? You have to get right. I, I think what I do, I think I'm a very emotional person and I think that helps me in my job because you have to find the emotion in something. If you're going to get somebody to, to spend their time watching something, because you have a lot of choice, not just on television, but you have choices to do. You could go for a walk with your dog. Like, What is going to make you want to sit down and devote an hour of your time to watching this program? There has to be a pretty compelling reason. There has to be a pretty good hook. Why are you going to do it? And I think that's a good challenge. And after 17 years as a promo producer, she's experienced huge technological changes that have heavily affected the media industry, such as the shift from broadcast to digital. How we consume media content now is more fragmented than ever, but the ease of how we create media is easier than ever, and that's a good thing. And the means of production are so much easier to, to use. Again, I'm thinking like, if, if you were to do something like this 50 years ago, okay, I mean, the technology would have been <laughs> massive. You would have had, like, you probably would have had six people doing what two people are doing right now and massive uh, cameras and huge mics. And, and then slowly it's become more compact and much more user-friendly so that you can do something like that and you can disseminate a good quality product without breaking the budget, right? So that's what it's all about. So it's sort of, it's more of a, is it a meritocracy? Possibly. But it, it, it's a world where anybody can produce content. How do you get, how do you get it seen? Well, that's a different challenge. But Anyone can produce anything. There's a lot of creativity happening now, you know, and, and I think it's a great time to, to be in any field or of the media. That's what I think. There's no denying that media, especially traditional media, is in a state of flux, which is why Pam is staying on her toes and being extra mindful with every project she works on. I mean, I feel good about where I am, but I would never want to rest on my laurels. Do you, does that make sense to you? Because I think you're only as good as your last project, pretty much, where I work. So, and I also think, uh, you know, you're not always going to do brilliant work. I think how you treat people is ultimately the most important thing. So, and not just from a, well, if I'm nice to him, he'll get me, give me what I want. But it's just... Uh, it's sort of a principled way of working. So I, I think you I think you need to treat people well because I, I think in turn you will be treated well. And, and it's just it just makes life a lot 
more smooth. So I, I think there's a certain degree to that. So if you sow dissension and, and nastiness, it's probably what you'll get on anything you're doing. I, I try to do a daily practice of gratitude as well. So, um, and it could be, it could be a, a very little thing like, wow, I saw the most beautiful flowers today. It doesn't have to be everything or I made it through another round of cuts because sometimes it feels like the Hunger Games, you know, where, where, where we all work, right? I mean, sometimes you are cut. So, and I think maybe nothing is permanent. It's a rapidly changing media industry and I feel still lucky to have a job because it, you just hear about layoffs practically every day in a different field or not a different field, you, you hear about layoffs practically every day in a different company or a different organization. So that's hard to think that, um, you know, somebody would say, oh my God, they've just laid off blah, 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 X number of people at Bell or Shaw or Rogers. And somebody might say, oh, so-and-so's boyfriend works there or so that was so-and-so's wife lost her job or, you know, somebody's friend. So it's... It's hard. We, we mourn. We mourn, I think, in a, in a way. When we find a job we're in love with and are completely qualified for, we sometimes doubt ourselves and think, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not creative enough. Known as the imposter syndrome, studies have shown that this self-doubt is particularly common among women. Well, I think that's a pretty common condition. So if you're thinking that about yourself, the, the incredibly successful guy sitting next to you probably thinks that as well. You, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's pretty common. Like, you even see people, like Barbara Streisand apparently suffers from horrible stage fright. Barbara Streisand! I mean, you think, she's one of the greatest singers of all time, but she has self-doubt. So I think... I think you just have to fake it. A, a lot of people have said to me over the years, oh my God, you just radiate self-confidence, Pam. And I said, really? <laughs> I've laughed about that because I don't think I always am. Sometimes to my detriment, to be perfectly honest, you know? And that's, yeah, that's as honest as it gets. Sometimes absolute self-doubt, absolute, and that can crush you. So I'm just, I guess my advice would be try not to let that happen. And if it does, get out of it, whatever it takes. One advantage of working so many jobs is that you do get to meet a lot of people, including people who end up becoming a mentor. There were various people, especially at CBC. I mean, there, there was a woman who, um, she was a print person. Her name was Carrie Lee. And she was always just such a positive influence. She was a a tiny little lady who um, just made things happen for herself. Like she was, um, after she retired, she thought, oh, I'm going to be a, a Pilates teacher. And, and, and she did do that. Like she was a really remarkable person and, and very independent and really made things happen for herself. Making things happen for yourself is key when you're a creative. However, learning to just let things happen, whether good or bad, is a huge hurdle in itself. Just get on with it. Sometimes, like, stop worrying so much and just get on with it. Because sometimes once you just start getting on with something, then it will come. It will happen. I guess my advice for somebody else would be, like, don't be afraid to fail. Because you will. And I think that's okay. It's okay to fail. I fail all the time. Still. 
I don't mean still, like, ooh, look at me in my lofty perch. I'm not on a lofty perch. And, and, and I think that's important to, to recognize. I think you have to just try, try different things. And if you fail, you fail. Pick yourself up, you dust yourself off, and you go on. The next time you catch a promo ad for the CBC, whether it's in a subway station, on a billboard, or on television, think of Pam, because she probably had a hand in creating that. Or you can check out our website, hernameispodcast.com, to find links to Pam's work. You can support Her Name Is by following us on Twitter, liking us on Facebook, and rating and reviewing the podcast. That will help us find more listeners like you. You can contribute to the podcast at hernameispodcast.com. Sponsorship and partnership opportunities are available. If you're interested, send us an email at info at hernameispodcast.com. Thank you for listening and supporting the show. Special thanks to everyone that's supported us so far in creating this podcast, including Ben Donnelly, Justin DeClue, Cindy Milling, Sang Tang, and our furry friends, George Michael, Milos, and Godzilla. If you are or know of a woman in the creative industry in Toronto, we'd love to meet you. Email us at info at hernameispodcast.com or get in touch through Facebook or Twitter. We can't wait to hear from you. This episode was produced and edited by us, Emily Milling and Jenny Tang. Music was written by Emily and this podcast is a product of Can Make Productions. Thanks for listening. And for anyone who is still questioning their creativity, here's some wisdom from a nun named Sister Wendy. There used to be this series on PBS with an old nun called Sister Wendy and she'd look at art and she was this tiny little woman and she talked like this and she had a boop. She had rather prominent teeth and she'd speak like this and she'd, she'd look at art. And, and she kind of hobbled around and she was a very old lady. I think she lived in a contemplative order and then they let her out to look at all this art. And she was an art historian, but she said, you know, it doesn't matter. It, it's all art and it's all legitimate. So uh, a drawing done on a cave has the same artistic merit as something done on a computer or something done with, um, like whatever, like art is art and, and it's all, like a cave painting has the same artistic merit it can be as something else that came later. But it's all, it's all art and it's all an expression of creativity. So I thought, I thought that was very interesting. So, and when you think about yourself, I mean, you can do something creative with, with a very little thing, right? It doesn't have to be big. And I think, I think it's good to do, like even if you're not working, to do something, try to do something a little bit creative.